joining us online. Welcome to week three of 40 Days of Prayer. Uh, we're in this series along with our Christian and Missionary Alliance family um, all over the United States at least. And uh, I'm not sure if other uh, places in the world in the Alliance are doing this as well. But I know that all of us uh, in, the, in the churches in the Christian Missionary Alliance across the United States are, uh, as many want to participate, are doing 40 days of prayer. And so we are in week three of that. Just as a reminder and some encouragement, uh, we're only halfway through. If you're like, ah, oh, man, it's too late for me to start, it's never too late. Go ahead and grab one of the devotionals. Uh, they're out on the uh, resource table. They're in manila folders, uh, and you can have one of those. Um, what's nice about starting on January 1st, which we did, is we're it's the 15th, and so today is day 15 um, of those 40 days. And so until we get to the end of January, the days will coincide with the date, and so that's an easy way to know where we are. Um, there's a lot more resources as well, though, at cmalliance.org slash 40 days. Um, if you're on our church's email list, you're getting that every week as well, so you can click on that link, and there's a bunch of video content and uh, devotional resources that you can participate in. And then the last thing I want to let you know about is that on Friday or Thursday night, February 9th, uh, there's a live stream prayer event. Uh, for the Alliance family in the United States that you can join in on. Um, if there's interest, maybe we'll find a way to get together and participate in that together. Uh, so we'll be looking for information on that in the next couple of weeks. Um, this room is unavailable on Thursday nights. There's another church that meets in here, and so uh, we'll have to figure out a different space to do that, or you can just join from wherever you are. Uh, but that is coming up on February 9th at the kind of the close of this 40 days. Okay, so we just recited the text for today. Uh, these last three weeks, when I get to this part of writing the sermon, I'm like, you know, I'm used to writing, okay, let's read the text, but we're reciting it every week uh, during our prayer time. And so we're in Matthew 6. If you're not familiar with the text, let me just give you a, a recap, a setup. Um, in Matthew 6, we find uh, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, right in the middle, uh, really, of the most important teaching that Jesus gives, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Beatitudes, those come from that same uh, section of the Bible. And so the Sermon on the Mount is the most important teaching of Jesus because it's really the crystallization of what Jesus wants to know about what it means to live into what he calls the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we've talked about the kingdom of heaven a bunch, but we're going to keep talking about it because that's what Jesus talked about. Uh, and so it's really important. The kingdom of heaven is not a place like you think of a kingdom here. It's more like a realm. It's a economy of the way things are. It's where God's presence lives and his rule and reign are there. Uh, and so there is both a coming time when that kingdom will come to full fruition and, and it will be here with us. Uh, but also the reality is that the kingdom of heaven is here now. Jesus said that all the time. He announced that the kingdom of heaven is here and it's coming. And so the Sermon on the Mount is really important. And just the one thing I want to point out uh, again, I know I've said this before, um, I, but I want to, it's really important. I want you to notice if you're holding a paper Bible um, and, and you are looking at Matthew 6, or if you're holding your phone Bible, I didn't mean to discriminate, uh, but if you're holding your Bible in Matthew chapter 6, I just want you to notice how Jesus starts three sections in chapter 6 of Matthew. The three sections in Matthew 6 uh, that talk about what we might call the spiritual disciplines, right, in our language, or spiritual practices, giving to the needy, fasting, and prayer. When Jesus starts all three of the sections in that part of Matthew, he starts them all with the word when, right? So notice that he assumes that these are a normal part. So Jesus, for our purposes today, is assuming that you are praying. He says, 
when you pray. Right? Then he goes on to teach about prayer. So if you claim to follow Jesus, it is the assumption of your rabbi, of your teacher, of your Lord Jesus. Right? He told his disciples, you call me rabbi and Lord, and you are right, for that's what I am. So it's the assumption of your Lord, your rabbi, that prayer is part of your normal life. He talks about it as if it's just a normal thing that's part of our lives. When you pray, not if. So that's sort of just the setup here to get into the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and now looking at today's section is really the reality of uh, th this prayer life as we continue in this teaching from Jesus. When you pray. Now, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is answering the disciples when they say, how should we pray? But in Matthew's gospel, where we read it, uh, what we see is that Jesus is teaching and he says, when you pray. And so when then Jesus gives the disciples here this lesson, what he gives them, again, is the most perfect. It's the most comprehensive outline for what we call prayer. And we call this thing the Lord's Prayer. It might be better called the disciples prayer uh, because it's really a prayer for those of us who follow Jesus Right, we talked about this. There's a part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus actually couldn't pray. Uh, forgive us our sins. He never sinned. But he's teaching us how to pray. And so the beauty of the structure of this prayer and its sort of six sections or six petitions um, caused, I quoted this guy last week, Helmut Tillichy, a German theologian. He said this about this prayer. These petitions are like the colors of the spectrum into which light divides when it shines through a prism. The whole light of life is captured in the rainbow of these petitions, taking into account our every need, great things, small things, spiritual things, and material things, inward things and outward things. There is nothing that is not included in this prayer. And so now in, in this week and moving forward, we're going to now consider the last three petitions, right? So we turn from uh, praying for God's glory in the first few and what God, who God is, to now we're going to pray for ourselves. And so the question then you might be asking is, well, how do we actually do that? How am I supposed to pray for myself properly? Well, the answer, uh, as we see it in the Lord's Prayer, is that we can really get rid of pretense and we can pray what's on our heart. That's what Jesus says. Remember, what did Jesus start with in the Lord's Prayer? He is our Abba Father. So we come to him as his children. So let's look at the first request, the first petition. It's simple enough. It seems simple enough. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you read this like I have read this my whole life, uh, you probably assume, like I did, that you understand this what's on the surface pretty simple request, right? But there's, there's more depth here than we realize. That's, that's the thing about Jesus' teaching. He's a brilliant teacher, and there's layers of depth to his teaching. There's actually a good deal of debate and controversy around the word that gets translated into daily. Give us this day our daily bread. There's some debate around it. And so the problem comes from the fact that this is the only occurrence in, of this word in all of Greek literature. This is the only time this word that Jesus uses uh, daily is used in Greek literature, other than it's found once in a non-literary source. So literary meaning like a written book or, or a tome that somebody would write. Non-literary source. Literally, this word is found on a, fr a fragment of papyrus that essentially had a grocery list on it. And on that grocery list is this word. Uh, and uh, it, it, the grocery list had um, requirements of the day. And so linguists would tell us that this word can either mean today's bread 
Or this word could mean tomorrow's bread. Both of those meanings work. And so most of what I read is, is leaning into that it's that second one, that actually what Jesus is saying here, if it was translated more literally, would give us a translation something like, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. Now, if you have an ESV Bible, which is the Bible I tend to preach out of and uh, read from, you'll see that there's a footnote there or a mar- something in the margins there letting you know that. Um, I think it's the New English Bible, the Revised Standard, and the English Standard uh, have some kind of marking in the margins. Not sure about other translations, but that proper translation would be more like, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. Now, here's what's interesting. This turn of speech by Jesus carries a double entendre for us. It carries a double meaning. Here's what I mean. If this prayer is offered in the morning, then it's a prayer for the needs of the day. But if this prayer is prayed in the evening, and remember, Jesus is assuming you're praying, all this is a normal thing you pray. If you're praying this in the evening, it's a prayer for the needs of the next day. And so there's a basic primary sense, right? God, give us today tomorrow's provision, tomorrow's bread. It's a prayer for God to meet our daily physical needs. And Jesus uses bread because that is a staple of the diet in this time. Uh, It's still a staple for our diet. We just put a lot more sugar on top of it usually. Uh, But bread um, or whatever that staple thing is in your culture, uh, maybe it's rice, maybe it's bread, maybe it's some other kind of grain, whatever it is, Jesus is making a point here that we're praying for God to meet our daily physical needs. But at the same time, praying for tomorrow's bread is implicitly asking God to meet our needs with another kind of bread. A bread from another ultimate tomorrow that's coming for us as well. Remember, this is in the context of the kingdom of heaven already not yet stuff that Jesus is talking about. So the basic meaning, give us this day our daily or tomorrow's bread, is that we pray for our physical needs. Pray for your physical needs. That's what Jesus is doing. The early church fathers probably went too far in uh, trying to see this tomorrow's bread thing, and they reject the plain meaning many times, and they maybe over-spiritualize the bread to only mean the bread of communion. Uh, and Jerome, one of the early church fathers, called this bread, I was going to attempt the Latin translate the wording, but couldn't do it, uh, but he called this bread uh, super substantial bread, M- bread that is more than physical and depending on your church background, you might have some, some kind of uh, understanding of that, depending on how you saw the communion meal. So he called it super substantial bread, more than just physical bread. And the main reason he did this was because it just, it didn't seem right to him that after these sort of upward looking petitions to God that have his glory at heart, it didn't seem right to him that then Jesus would switch immediately to something that he saw as even so crass as just asking for a material well-being. Like, it was too much of a turn for him. The first part of the prayer is completely selfless, and now to pray for bread seems selfish to Jerome. And, And so despite all the fathers sort of rationalizing and theologizing, Jesus' words mean what they mean, right, on the surface. God is, Jesus is, commanding you. He's teaching you. Pray for your provision. Pray for things you need. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is the first, uh, the the Lord's Prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, the first thing that God tells us to pray for when we pray uh, for ourselves is our daily provisions. 
right? We start with God and then we move to us and the first thing we pray for is the most basic stuff, bread. And so that we should pray for our material well-being uh, means that we have to be thoughtful about it though, right? Because we can go wrong with this. Uh, you, you've heard the preaching that goes wrong with this. Give us this day our daily bread is not a license for us to pray for God to give us whatever we want, right? It's not a license uh, for us to use God, to treat God like some cosmic genie. If you pray this way, you are perverting the heart of what Jesus was teaching in this prayer. And if you hear anyone teaching you or telling you that God wants you to have all the earthly possessions you want, run from that teaching. That is not what God wants for you. This is the danger of what we might call the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. It replaces Jesus with earthly possessions and uses Jesus as the means to another end instead of Jesus being the end himself. And so the Lord's Prayer um, is not at all teaching you to petition God to make you wealthy for wealth's sake. Now, you didn't hear me say that wealth is inherently evil. But wealth for wealth's sake is a snare of the devil. The Bible warns us a lot about wealth. And so the Lord's Prayer calls us to pray for bread. That is, the necessities of your life. Whether that's big or small, the things that are necessary for life and for health and the well-being of yourself and others, God is calling you to pray for that. Yes, Ask God for what you need, right? So we pray for bread, but we don't pray for excess. And so next, in commanding us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, what is God fostering in us? Don't just think about what the prayer itself says. Think about the kind of people who pray this prayer. Because that's what you're becoming when you practice these things. God is fostering in us a daily dependence on him, right? No other line in the Lord's Prayer is going to challenge, is going to uh, stand against what we are being discipled in right now in our culture. And I got to tell you, there is a whole bunch of voices, particularly aimed at young men, telling us, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, do it yourself, forget everybody else, hustle every day, no days off, you make yourself what you are. And so that's what we're being told as a whole, but particularly, as I said, young men. And so to be sure, there is nothing wrong with doing some of that, with planning for the future, planning for rainy days, being wise with what God has given you. But it is wrong to make total independence your consuming goal. As Christians, we are not independent. We are not autonomous. We are part of God's body, the church, and we depend on God himself. And so whether, the, whether we are rich or, or poor, God is calling us through the prayer of Jesus here as he's teaching us to depend on him daily, right? He wants us to pray for our daily needs, and that means he wants us to be thankful for them daily. Another reality in this phrase is that Jesus is commanding uh, for us to pray not give me my daily bread. What is the command? Give us our daily bread. You are not alone. You're not meant to do this Christian thing alone. Every time we pray this from our heart in that posture we talked about in our first week, we are affirming our place in the community of faith with our brothers and sisters. Most often that's expressed as the local church. 
When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are also making, listen, you are making an implicit commitment to be the the tool that sometimes God uses to provide bread for other people. We are affirming the reality that we are sometimes the very hands of Jesus himself in being the vehicle by which he provides daily bread for other people. And so this prayer stretches us. It leans on us. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' entire ministry does that. You don't read Jesus, he reads you in the scriptures. And so we not only depend on God for practical provision, like the fact that we're all breathing right now is God's doing. We we not only depend on God for practical provision, but we are committing ourselves to be part of God's answer for others who might be in need. Someone else might be praying, Lord, I need some daily bread. And you might be thinking, Lord, thank you for the extra bread. And guess what? God is calling the two of you together. Now, I put this point last I'm going to get to here on this little list because it's the one that I know that I am most in need of hearing. And I'm guessing if, that if we're in a similar place in, in life and, and all that, that you might be uh, in a similar place as well. Give us this day our daily bread is an invitation to come to God with requests that might seem insignificant or too small for you to bring to him. Like, oh, God... God isn't worried about that. I, I, I need to handle this one by myself. I go to God with the big stuff. No. One of the beauties of Christian life is that God cares for the simple, small, ordinary, day-to-day things of your life. Remember he, who he is? He is both king of the universe, but he is Abba, Father. He cares about that stuff, right? I mean, Those of you who've had kids around your house, whether that be parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you have a relationship with a little kid, how often do they come to you and ask you for really insignificant nonsense stuff? All the time, right? My kids come up to me and ask me to do things that are so insignificant, but I don't even, that doesn't cross my mind. Well, this is beneath me, right? Because I'm their dad. That's what I do. And God is your dad. Right in my house, my little one's coming to me, Dad, can you help me open this? Dad, can you open the door for me? Dad, I can't reach this. Well, that's, that's I, I'm, I'm above that. I can't, no. I never answered that way. And, and God doesn't look at your prayers that way either. Our Lord Jesus, uh, he taught us that even supposedly trivial things are important to God. He took babies in his arms, he loved them, and he blessed them. When what were the rest of his disciples, you and I, in this scenario, what were they doing? Oh, hey, hey, kids, get away from him, he's too busy, he's too important. And Jesus was like, no, 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 you don't understand. We make space for the little ones to come. And so Jesus bestowed his love on the seemingly worthless existences of those who were ignored and looked down on, kids, the lepers, the lame, those who were paralyzed, those who were mentally ill, those who were the outcasts are the ones that Jesus wanted to hear from and take time with. God cares whether his people are warm and well-fed and housed. He does care. And, And these things are not so little when you lack them, are they? How many of you lost power in the last few weeks? Heat became real important all of a sudden, right? Yeah. It didn't seem insignificant for you to go, Lord, can you help my house be warm? 
One uh, commentator said this, a Beethoven symphony sounds quite different if we listen to it when we are shivering with cold. And a visit to an art gallery is less inspiring when we undertake it on an empty stomach. If you're freezing, a warm sweater has a higher uh, priority to you than the latest theological volume, right? A a book isn't going to keep you warm. might warm the cockles of your heart, but it's not going to keep you warm on the outside. God wants you to bring your everyday needs to him, even if they seem trivial to you. Why? Because this is how we stay in touch with the reality that we are dependent on him. Right? Let the power go out for uh, even five hours and all your illusions of being independent from everything around you just vanish into thin air. And so in my life, I most often forget how dependent I really am of God when it comes to the small daily things in my life that I just assume will be there. Like, I woke up this morning and made myself a hot cup of coffee. Didn't even think about, Lord, thank you for the coffee. Thank you that my water is hot. Thank you that there's lights for me to see. And here's the reality for me. Because God has been so over-the-top gracious and generous to me in my life and in my family's life, I have so much that I don't even need to pray for daily bread. Like, I not only have my daily bread, but I have enough bread and access to bread that I can easily forget about God and his provision. I I mean, I got a cupboard full of bread, right? Right? And so I can begin to believe the lie. This is a lie that your enemy, who we mentioned in this prayer, wants you to believe. I believe the lie that I don't actually need God. Or even more insidious than this, and I want you to hear this part. More insidious than believing a lie is that you actually just forget about God all the way. You forget about God in the middle of my easy, well-provisioned life. The danger in not praying this way is that I can begin to do what Romans 1 talks about and I can fail to acknowledge God right in the middle of his provision for me. Right? God has provided so much for me that now I just forget that it was him and I just live off of this provision. And I start to worship the gift and not the giver. And this prayer for daily bread is a daily reminder, Lord, if you don't provide for me, I'll die. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, every way you can think of. And so we, the danger is that we lose touch with that. He, he, doesn't, command, he doesn't demand uh, that we approach him only when we've sort of raised ourselves to some kind of spiritual elevation and we're above the everyday needs of life. No, 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 no. He's right there in touch with our humanity. He's teaching us to continue to pray for our daily needs, not only because we need them, Right? but also so that we don't lose touch with the reality of our actual need. Now, we got a lesson in that a couple years ago, didn't we? People went crazy buying stuff at the stores, you remember? Couldn't find water, for whatever reason, couldn't find toilet paper. (laughs) I still don't get that one. But we were reminded, and we're still tasting that reminder a little bit in our life. Can't just go out and get whatever you want, and you realize, wow, I actually am kind of needy. I I can't just do everything I wanted to do. Maybe what I was living before all this happened was a little bit of an illusion. And so the greatness of our God lies in the fact that he descended to meet us where we are, literally in his body in Jesus Christ. When we come to him with our little things, 
What we're actually doing is showing him great honor because it shows the relationship that we have with him. That we would ask him even for this, that must mean that we esteem him greatly. And we remember that every good thing that we have has come from him. Maybe you needed that reminder. Every good thing that you have has come down from your father in heaven. Every one. The ones you're forgetting right now too. And so God wants us to feel free to come to him with requests, even for the tiniest stuff, right? Even the things that we can meet, even the needs that we can meet with the things he has already given us, right? The bread we need, like literally the food that you're going to need in a little bit. I'm hungry now. I can feel it, right? The food we're going to need at our next meal, a coat. Maybe some new shoes. Your kids need a bike. You, you need to take your family on vacation. God, I need to get some exercise, right? All these kind of things. Pray for them. Bring them to God. They're not beneath him. Listen to this quote. He whose eye encompasses in its boundless reach the first day of creation and the last hour of judgment reflecting all the eternities... He whose outstretched arm enfolds the oceans, the islands, and the continents because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, he occupies himself with the trivialities of humankind. This is why David would say, who am I, Lord, that you're mindful of me? But the reality is he is mindful of you. He is mindful of you. The one who created the stars and told the oceans where to stop is worried about you. He's concerned about you. So I, I want to do something a little different right now in this part of the sermon. I want to just take a few moments here and just practice what we're talking about. And so I want to just invite you to pray silently uh, for the next minute or so for those things that you have totally forgotten to pray for. Holy Spirit, would you bring those things right now to our mind that we have totally forgotten to pray for as needs that we have. And so Lord, for the next minute or so, we're going to just quietly in this space right now and we're going to ask you for the things that we need in our lives and so Lord we know that you hear our prayers and so we are going to pray now silently. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Amen. Now, I said earlier that I think there's actually a secondary kind of underneath meaning to this bread that Jesus is talking about and that this is the ultimate future bread that's coming for us in the kingdom of heaven. And now now stop thinking about literally a loaf of bread, right? 
Think about the coming presence of Jesus in his kingdom with us. So let me just walk you through a few different reasons for seeing this uh, in this underneath this simple meaning, for seeing this kind of secondary meaning underneath what Jesus is saying. The first thing is that, as we already pointed out, the wording here leads to a translation that's more like, give us this day for our bread. Uh, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. Uh, and I think Jesus is pointing to the future with God as his people in his kingdom. So that's the first. The second is that the three petitions of this prayer that have led up to this point in Jesus' prayer all actually refer to the ultimate coming of the kingdom of God, right? If you think about what Jesus has prayed for, um, it's the kingdom of God in the future, right? When God's name is once and for all hallowed, when his kingdom comes, and when his will is actually perpetually followed. Those are all realities that are coming in the future kingdom. And so it follows then, I think, that the bread of tomorrow is also the bread of the eternal coming kingdom. Also, Jesus used only one symbol to describe this sort of state for believers, the, the state we're going to be in, the kingdom we're going to live into. The, the picture he used over and over was a feast, a joyous, beautiful Feast. Here's one commentator talking about this reality. While in the Old Testament there are many vivid pictures which paint the glory of the final kingdom, in the words of Jesus there is only one and it is drawn many times. The picture of the marriage feast or of the king's feast or even of eating and drinking and reclining at table with the patriarchs in Abraham's bosom and the pictures of harvest and sowing, they only serve to show the great context in which our bread in the prayer is situated. One might also say, one might almost say that from this point of view, to pray for the coming of the kingdom and to pray, give us our bread today amounts to the same thing. And so Jesus talked about a great feast as a picture of life with God in his kingdom. Again, this is Jesus is not saying that we're literally just going to be sitting at a table the whole time eating, as awesome as that sounds. That's not what he is saying. He is saying that that's what the kingdom is like. It's like a feast, right? Imagine that, that feeling you've had when you've had a, whatever the best meal you've ever had in your life was. That's, what, that's a foreshadow of the kingdom. And it makes total sense then that this is where the bread of heaven is going to be served. Right? If this is the metaphor Jesus uses then it makes sense. And so when Jesus is telling us to pray for the bread of tomorrow, I think he's teaching us to pray for the bread of eternity today. And so in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us his children that through prayer, and we've talked about this before, we can somehow grab on to the bread of that coming kingdom and feast upon it now. And bring that reality to bear in our world now. Of course, the ultimate bread is Jesus himself, right? Jesus himself in John 6 said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I, I know, we evangelicals, we struggle with this stuff. We're like, whoa, Jesus, oh, whoa, Jesus. But this is what he says. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Listen to this. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. That's the offer on the table. Eat the bread of Jesus. Come to him. Trust in him. Give him your allegiance. And he gives you life with him forever. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. How does this work? The bread that Jesus gives for your life is his very flesh on the cross. That when Jesus hung on the cross willingly, no one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord that he was inviting you to partake, to take him into yourself and live forever, to trust in him. Jesus never disappoints. He never lets us down because that's not who he is. It's not in his character, but also he has the capacity to do whatever he said he would do. And so he always gives this bread to those who ask. And so he calls us to pray for the bread of tomorrow. He calls us to pray for himself and he's always going to give you himself. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us the bread for tomorrow. We pray for physical bread, our, our needs now. And I think we pray for spiritual bread, both cases, the bread of tomorrow. And so we're going to take a communion meal in just a few minutes. And physical bread in the communion meal is going to symbolize the spiritual bread of the kingdom. But somehow it's, a, it's more than a symbol as well. And you know this intuitively when you participate in the kingdom meal. It's a shadow, it's a foretaste for us, for the feast that's coming in the kingdom with all of its fullness. And, and at the time when we will sit together with Jesus at the head of the table, that's what's coming for us. To be together in the presence of Jesus and to be in a feast. And so the bread of communion is beautiful. It's beautiful, the bread and the cup, because it both has the present reality of this world that God loves so much that he entered into it in, in the very creation. The communion bread, like, right, it's real physical bread that nourishes your real physical body. God cares about your life. That's what the communion bread does for us. But the communion bread and the moment we share together, right? The words that we always end with, we proclaim the Lord's death until what? He comes. There's a future. The bread also has the taste of the kingdom. The communion bread is a foreshadow of what's coming for us in that uh, kingdom when the ultimate bread Jesus himself is with us forever and so we pray as Jesus taught us to pray Lord give us this day the bread of tomorrow let me pray Jesus we want to focus our minds on that prayer give us the things that we need Lord we are we are needy we are poor and pitiful and blind. We can't fend for ourselves, Lord. Would you, would you kill anything in us that thinks we can? Lord, we pray against the spirit of our age that tells us that we can be self-sufficient. Lord, no, we can't. Lord, for those who would accuse us of being people who are religious people who need a crutch, Lord, we say yes. Yes, we need a crutch because we can't walk on our own. And so, Lord, we depend on you. Would you give us our daily bread? But would you keep our eyes on that future coming bread as well? And would you help us to be instruments of, of seeing that bread, that provision from you, both spiritually and physically? Would you help us to be agents of seeing that spread in our communities and in our workplaces and in our families, Lord? We ask 
what you've taught us to ask, Lord, give us our daily bread. And we pray this in your name. Amen.